0: All right, well, today's going to be a little bit different. Uh, obviously, I'm not used to the setup, but we, uh, my sermon today just felt like a little more conversational, so I wanted to pull up a stool, wanted to talk over everything with you guys, and I want to invite you from the very beginning, like, we're going to read some scriptures today, and I'd really love to have, like, some feedback from y'all while we're Like, I'm going to ask you all some questions, like, what do you see in this scripture? And if you, excuse me, if you have something you see that you want to share, just shout it out. That would be cool. You know, I kind of want to make it, like I said, a little more conversational. Um, And so I'm going to start out with a question I'd really love, just some shouted out answers. If you were going to plant a church, and Scott can't answer because he's already done this, so he's cheating, but um, if you were going to plant a church, what would you do like what would be some of the first things you feel like you would be thinking about or doing in order to get that ball rolling to plant a church love to hear what y'all think pray pray okay what'd you say Uh, see where you might be able to have it yeah cool pray that was great whoever said that what else pray more more. (laughs) yeah pray a lot i bet scott prayed a lot when he planted this church all right what else Find some people. That's right. Yeah, this is the church of myself. Welcome myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're gonna want to have some people. So you might like evangelize. You know, or just invite friends that you know. Yeah, like. What'd you say? Kool Aid. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not sure I want to go to your church, Brad. But <laughs> the Kool Aid Church. We're not a cold. just like your subtitle. We're not. A, uh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. That's a great. Yeah, for sure. Talk to people. Already did it. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think someone's mentioned that once or twice. So. Yeah. Um, those are great answers. And something I thought about, which I'm sure everyone would come to at some point if you were going to plan a church, is you would want to get in here and try and figure out what church is supposed to look like, right? Like if you're going to plan a church, you're going to want to make sure that you're doing it the way that God intended the church to be, right? It's pretty simple. And so what I wanted to do this morning, you know, Scott and I have a vision for our church and we have a desire for what we want to do here as a church. Um, and I just kind of wanted to explore with you guys in the short time we have, like what the Bible has to say about what the church is, what it's supposed to be, and just kind of like Leaves some challenges and questions out there for all of us to consider as we look at the scriptures together. So if you got your Bible, we're going to start at the very beginning when the church started, which is a good place to go if you're thinking about planning a church. Uh, so Acts chapter 2, and then we're going to go to verse 41. And uh, be paying attention as we read, if you will, because my next question is going to be what do you see in this picture of this infant pure church in the very beginning? Oh, thank you. I forgot about that. I'm like, I'm going to do the clicker and then I forgot the clicker. Yeah. So, um, So, so as we read, whatever stands out to you that you see was kind of like in the beginning in the church like that was important to them, be ready to be ready to share that. So, we'll start in verse 41. And it says and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Really cool little picture there. All right, so what do you see? What are some things that stand out to you about this early church? Did a lot of eating? What? What? Oh yeah, they liked eating, I know. I'm like, man, we need to eat more in our church. Yeah, they were eating bread day by day in the houses. Yeah. Hey, I'm a little bit deaf, so if you shout out, do me a favor and just shout real loud because I'm gonna be like, what? What? So okay. But yes, yeah, they love food. Alright, what else? They were together. They were together. Yeah. That's huge. For sure. At the beginning of forty two it says they devoted themselves. Yes. To everything that follows. This. Right. That's a big thing. yeah. Devoted. <laughs> Right, it was like what something they really prioritized. Yeah, for sure, that's huge. You guys are hitting all the things I had. What else? They prayed together. They prayed together. Yeah. Mhm. So let's look at this. You guys are doing really great. So the first thing you see at the top is that everyone who is a believer was baptized. Right. Just like Samantha was baptized not too long ago. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing. Like, think about back then. Like back then they didn't have running water. Right. So. So much happened at the water sources in the community. They bathed there, or they got water to bathe there, rather. They got water to drink there. They washed their clothes there. Like a lot's going on. So baptism was definitely a very public profession of faith. You don't know who in town is going to see you when you go to the river or wherever you're going to get baptized, right? So that's a big deal. So they get baptized, and then they devote themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread— which I can devote myself to that, you know, like, like, yeah. And, and the prayers, right? Okay. And then everyone who believed had everything in common. So in, in verse four, it talks, I mean, in chapter four, um, it talks about that nobody said anything he had was his own, which is crazy. Very anti-American, right? But that, like, Nobody said anything they owned actually was theirs. It was the churches. It was the bodies. And the people who had property, they sold it to make sure that everybody had enough. Now, it doesn't mean everyone sold their property, but it was like, if somebody in the church has a need and I have some extra property I could sell, well, I'll sell this and make sure they don't have a need instead of just holding on to this for myself. Pretty crazy. And then this is a big one. So they met together. I think Brad said this. And notice that it says they met day by day, okay, breaking bread in the homes. Now, this is um, this is a big deal because, well, we'll get to this in a little while, but the fact that they were able to meet together and do it day by day and meet in each other's homes is a big deal. And there's actually, like, some challenges we face nowadays because our society is so different than back then, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so so they're doing all this, they're hanging out together, but they're not just like hanging out and like, you know, doing nothing. They're praying, they're eating, they're fellowshipping, they're listening to the apostles teaching. But something else is important to understand about how the church operated back then, okay? So we're go- next we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12. And by the way, I know a lot of this is like stuff y'all already know. I'm just hoping that as we look at it and tie it together, it'll be, you know, refreshing and invigorating and a fresh way, you know. So, we're going to first Corinthians 12. And we're going to read 1 through 11. All right. So, it says, "Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols; however, you were led There's a lot in this passage, and not everything we're going to cover right now, but I'd be interested just to hear real fast, what stands out to you from this passage, just in our brief readover of it? it what? It all comes from God. It all comes from God. Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Not one person get all of it. Sorry, what? So not one individual is going to get all of the gifts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. One thing that was obviously very important to the early church was the gifts that the Spirit had given when Jesus ascended. I don't know if you all remember, but like in the Old Testament, when Joseph is in Egypt and he becomes second in command to Pharaoh, his father doesn't believe that he is alive, right? But it says that when he saw the gifts that Joseph had sent, he believed that Joseph was dead. And in a sense, he had almost received Joseph back from the dead. And that was a picture of how when Jesus rose from the dead, he sent gifts to his church to affirm the fact that he had resurrected from the dead, the Holy Spirit, right? He said, when I go, I'm going to send the comforter and that spirit brings these gifts. So these are important. And Paul says here, he doesn't want us to be ignorant about these gifts, right? And Another important thing about these gifts is that to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. So what that means is that every single person in the church has at least one gift given to them by the Holy spirit. Would you all repeat after me? Is that cool? Can everybody say I have a spiritual gift. This is important. Um, And as you see here and in some other places, there are many different kinds of gifts, right? And the gifts are given primarily to build up the church. That's what the gifts are for. Each of us are given a gift in order to build each other up and encourage each other, okay? Now, I want to pause here for a second, and I want to talk about—we're talking about planning a church, right? I want to talk about the challenges we face already in looking at what the Bible has to say about the church and trying to figure out how to implement it in America, okay? So, like, first of all, we have the challenge of distance and time, right? So, like, we have a lot more distractions now than we ever had before. Back then, life was a lot simpler, a lot slower, just by the nature of having to do things by hand and all of that. Now we have TV, we have internet, we have fast cars and all of that. We have such busy lives, so much distraction. But more than that, Modern technology has made it possible, which is great for someone who lives an hour, two people who live an hour away from each other to go to the same church. But back then, the reason they were able to meet day by day and in each other's homes is because they all lived in the same town. Like Paul writes a church, Paul writes a letter to the church at Ephesus and he writes a letter to the church at Corinth. Like these are people who lived in Corinth or lived in Ephesus and they went to church together because they were Christians in the same town. Uh, now, Sean lives in Katie. I live in Willis. that's about as far away from each other as you can get, and we go to the same church. And that's awesome, but the challenge with that is, when you live so far away from people, how do you work a full-time job and meet more than once or twice a week and still like keep your sanity, you know, and not be overextended? Like it's difficult to copy what they were doing because they were in the same town. So everybody goes to work. And then when they're off work, they're not like sitting and watching TV. They're getting together with the other believers. They're eating together. It's like, hey, we're going over to this guy's house tonight. We're going to eat. We're going to hang out over there. Everyone goes home, goes to sleep, works again, get back together at someone else's house. You know, They're fellowshipping day by day in the synagogue, in each other's homes. And that is very difficult for us to copy because we live so far apart. Life is so busy and different nowadays. It's a challenge, you know, this is a challenge we face in a church. And then you add on top of that, that there is a lot of confusion nowadays about what are spiritual gifts. Like if I were to ask you, what is your spiritual gift? How many of you would feel confident that you know what your spiritual gift is? And I think a lot of us would feel like we have no idea right? Or we might have an idea, but we're not totally sure, you know? And the, and and there's been a lot of confusion about what are the spiritual gifts. And I feel like a lot of the teaching you find nowadays goes, this is just my personal opinion, you may disagree, but I feel like it goes often to one extreme or the other. Either people say, yeah, all the gifts are here, and they focus like hardcore on the spiritual gifts, but then they'll start like doing stuff that's not in the Bible, you know, like, This thing gets me, and and I'm not trying to dog in any churches. I'm just expressing to you as a pastor the challenges we face. But like, there's a a whole section in 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul says, you shouldn't speak in tongues out loud together if there's no one to interpret, because if an unbeliever walks in, he's going to think you're crazy, right? But there are churches nowadays that embrace the gifts, and everybody will be in this congregation speaking in tongues or whatever, And I walked into those churches and I'm like, are these people crazy? (laughs) It's like, it's like, it's exactly what the Bible said. And, uh, and, and so I feel like sometimes people embrace the gifts, but they go outside of the scripture. But then there's the other extreme where it's like, people only think that the gifts, the only gifts that are still here are the ones that aren't too supernatural. Right? So it's like, the gift of mercy, the gift of hospitality, the gift of leadership, like that's cool. Those are still here, but the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, you know, those are out because, and and, and there's no scriptural basis for that either, to be honest. Like people, I've listened to why people would think that, and it's not in here. God didn't say, hey, I'm gonna send you these gifts, but don't worry, only half of them are gonna be around for a while, and then I'm gonna take those away. He didn't say that anywhere in here. Paul didn't say hey, the really weird ones that are kind of hard to understand, don't worry, those won't be around for long and then we'll have normal gifts. Like, There's no reason to biblically believe those gifts are gone, right? So it's a challenge for us as pastors and for someone who's trying to start a church to know how do we encourage and teach on the spiritual gifts? How do we develop fellowship together that's meaningful and intimate when we live so far apart and we struggle to meet more than one or two days a week, right? And so what I think has happened in part because of these difficulties is when we do meet, we focus on the thing that is easiest to understand, which is the teaching, right? And so usually when people meet once or twice a week, the meeting is focused on the teacher or the pastor sharing, which is biblical, and that's important, right? But What has happened, it is it has begun to happen to the neglect of the church, of everyone in the church recognizing and embracing their role, their importance and their spiritual gifts in the body. And it's a challenge. Like I don't I'm not about to sit here and give you all the answers to this. This is something I'm wrestling with and trying to figure out, you know. I will have some things for us to do at the end, but you know, it's difficult to know how do we encourage everyone to step into their spiritual gifts. How do we get away from the consumer mindset where people are just coming to hear a message and they really want to begin to invest like God intends us to? It's not easy. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But one analogy I wanted to give you is like, imagine that your dad gave you a gift, but you never opened it. The question would be, why didn't you open the gift? You know, you know, it's a good gift. Why didn't you open it? And well, the reason would, the reasons I could think of is either you don't really believe you, he gave you a gift. You're not looking for your gift because you don't believe he gave it to you. Or you don't believe the gift is important enough to look at. Or you just don't really want the gift, right? Like those are kind of the three things I thought about. If someone gave you a gift and you never open it, never look at it. Either you don't really believe it's a gift or um, you don't believe it's that important. You don't believe it's important enough to open or you don't really care about it you know? And I think that's what's kind of happened with spiritual gifts. A lot of us either don't believe God has given us a gift, or we don't think it's important enough to really figure out what it is, even if we do believe he's given us a gift, or we just don't really care about it. It's not on our radar, right? And that's a shame. And I think that's something God does not want us to do. I think he wants us to care about our gifts, Now, okay, so we've talked about how they met together. We've talked about the spiritual gifts. I want to talk about another aspect of the church that's important. So go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. So in addition to the gifts, God gave some special servant roles to the church. He's picked certain people to be a special type of servant in the church. And again, I'd, we're going to read this passage, and I'd really like for. Me. The clicker on. All right, cool. I'd really like for you guys to, to see what stands out to you. I'd love to hear what you have to say. So we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the same is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, what we'll stands out to you about that? What? That he descended the depths of the earth before he ascended. Cool. Yeah. Yes. Did you say grace was given to each one of them? Yes, and and that ties right into First Corinthians twelve. It's actually the first thing I have on here. I'll go ahead and and do that. Each of us was given grace, and in this context, is talking again about the gifts that God has given, and He's going into talking about the special servant roles that come along with that. Oneness of faith. What? Oneness of faith. One. Yeah. Oneness and faith. Cool. Thank you guys for engaging. I, I love hearing what y'all have this, what stands out to y'all about this stuff. So, yeah, so thank you. You got my first one. Grace is given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, okay? And in that grace, God has given certain people a gifting, a calling, an ability to fill a special servant role, okay? And these special roles are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, okay? Now, we're not gonna spend time uh, uh, diving into each of these roles. But the point is, is that these roles are meant to serve the church. They're a special way of serving the church. The evangelist has a special way. It serves the church. The apostles have a special way. They serve the church. Okay. And I would like you guys, why did God give these special roles to the church? What does it say? To equip, perfect, yes. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, okay? So a pastor's job, let's just focus on the shepherds, okay? Because that's, that's what I feel God has called me to be. And, and Scott, a pastor's job is to equip the church for the work of the ministry. And one other thing after that, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all reach mature manhood, right? So I wanted to think about this analogy, okay? A pastor is like a coach. A coach's job is to train the athletes, to give them good advice, to help them know how to get ready for the... uh, uh, sport that they're participating in, right, to help them avoid mistakes that are going to injure them or slow them down, right? A pastor's job is to coach and train, but the purpose is so that the athlete will get out there and compete and win, right? And when the athlete wins the medal, has anybody ever seen a coach get up on a podium and receive the gold medal or the silver medal? A lot of times, you don't even know who the coach is, right? It's all about the athlete, and that is the way it is supposed to be in the church. The pastor's job is to be a background role to support you guys so that y'all can get up on your feet into your gifts and be building up the body the way God intended. The thing that gets me, and I don't know how to work this out exactly, but it's, I know it's something we got to work out, is that in America, we've got it backwards. The coach is the one that exercises his gifts, that gets up there and does all the work and everybody else comes and watches the coach, right? It's like all the athletes come in and listen to the coach talk about how to do the sport, but they're never getting out there and using their muscles, using their gifts, learning how to get out there and win the medal. We've got pastors that are centered, I mean, churches that are centered around big name pastors. It's like his church, right? And everybody goes to listen to this guy, and I'm not knocking any big churches or anything like that necessarily, but I'm saying that's not the way it's supposed to be. You're not, the pastor isn't supposed to be the face of the church, right? He's supposed to be the background. Just like you don't know who the athlete's coach is, you don't necessarily need to know who the pastor of the church is. What needs to be is that the church is out there using their gifts, edifying each other. That's my job. If, my job, if I don't help you guys do the work of the ministry... And i don't help y'all all reach mature manhood in Christ. I have failed as a pastor, no matter how big this church gets. We have failed as pastors if you're right and so we we have to really in order if we're going to get back to like church the way God intended, there's got to be a big mindset shift in our lives because we've gotten so used to the consumeristic model of American Christianity that It's messed with us. I'd like y'all to tell me what you think about this statement right here. Tell me if you think it's true. The pastor is the one who is primarily responsible for the care and edification of the church. Would you say that's true? Yes? I would like to propose that it is false. And I think this is a much better way of looking at the church. All of us are primarily responsible for the care and edification of the church. The pastor has a special place to play, but that is not superseding the care that you should have for the church. It's not like the pastor's up here and he really cares about the church and then here's everybody else. It's everybody cares about the church. And some of us are called to serve in certain ways as evangelists or teachers or pastors. But just because you're not an evangelist or a teacher or a pastor doesn't mean you don't have gifts and doesn't mean you shouldn't care about the church just as much as a pastor does. That's what you see in the Bible, is that everybody cared. We're going we're gonna to read about it right now. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 14, and look at the, the difference of the way they met together when they met day by day, of some of what we experience. 1 Corinthians 14, and we're going to be starting in verse 26. All right, it's in verse 26 of verse four, or chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any, speak in a tongue. Let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So when they met together day by day, the pastor wasn't preparing an hour-long sermon every day of the week to teach. And everyone wasn't just showing up to sit and listen to the pastor preach every single day. They got together, they ate, they celebrated the Lord's Supper, and then they shared their gifts with each other to encourage each other. A lot of these churches are going through persecution. They're going through suffering. And imagine how encouraging it is to be able to get together with your brothers and sisters and hear what God has shown so-and-so and and hear a song that God gave to so-and-so hear a revelation that somebody found in the scripture, right? Like everybody was encouraging each other. And the pastor's job in here was to be a part of weighing what was said, as far as, I can, as far as I can tell. You notice that you don't see the pastor in here anywhere, except for maybe in that part where it talks about weighing what is said. There's not like when you get together, everybody sit in the, in the aisles and listen to the pastor preach. When you get together... All of you have something to share. So much so that Paul just said, hey, look, I know everyone's got something to share because God's given all of you gifts. Let's just make sure it's done decently and in order. Nobody gets offended. Everybody has time to share. You know, that'd be cool. Man, I wish we had that problem in our churches today, you know, but I think we have gotten too used to being consumeristic. All of us in here, I think without exception, have grown up going to church and listening to someone else use their gifts, being fed, and never being really, uh, may I shouldn't exaggerate, but a lot of us haven't really probably been often challenged to figure out what are our gifts, and how do we contribute to the church, you know? And you know, I want to tell you all right now, like, I don't have all the answers. I don't know how to encourage each of you to figure out what your gifts are. I don't know how it's supposed to look for us to meet in such a way where we can all use our gifts. You know, that's something we are trying to figure out, Scott and I, but the thing that I do know is first of all, it's not my job to have all the answers. If we as a church really want to use God's gifts that he's given us and be the church that he wants us to be, he will show all of us how to do it, right? this can't be something that just Scott and I want for our church. There has to be a hunger in all of us that we want to step into the gifts and the calling that God has given us, whatever that looks like. You know, we can't, this can't be a top down thing where Scott and I are like, y'all figure out your gifts. You got to want it for yourself. And so my prayer with this sermon is that like, just by looking at this, at least in some of us, there might be a hunger stirred, like God, I don't want to be a part of a church that's not everything you want it to be. And I don't want to be a church goer that's not everything you want me to be. And so I feel like really what I had to say was like, I really want to encourage everyone to pray and ask God, God, what does it look like for me to step into my calling in the church and really serve my church with my gifts. What does that look like for me to pray? Because if you want to know, I believe God will show you. You know, there was a revival, a lot of people were talking about the Asbury revival in uh, wherever that was, and, and that's all good, you know. But one thing it got me thinking about was that I feel like even with our desire for revival, it can become consumeristic. You know, we want God to just come out of the sky and give us all a Holy Spirit booster shot in our veins. And thank you, God, you know. But I believe if we really want to see revival in the church, it will happen if we all take seriously our role to step into our gifts and to serve the church. If each of us takes it seriously to care about the church as much as the pastor does, so to speak. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's not something we can manufacture. All, I, all Scott and I can do in some regard is share the truth and pray that God will put a fire in your hearts to, for this church to be what God wants it to be. We don't have all the answers, and we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to be the Bible answer man. We're not supposed to have everything, every answer to every question. That's why you're here. God gave you gifts because we can't do it without you, Right? Without you, this church is not complete. We need you. We need all of us. So I just want to encourage you to pray and for yourself personally. And if there are some of us who really do feel a fire for this, like maybe we should get together and pray together and talk about what does it look like for all of us to use our gifts? How do we step into that? You know, Um, I don't know, but I really believe this is what God wants for us. And so I hope that will be something that resonates with you.